Welcome to the Transcending Sport podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. What's up, everybody? It's Transcending Sport. I'm your host, Rob Cruz. My guest is Lainey Hodges. She's the CEO and founder of Improv Alchemy, and she is a human development specialist. And she's going to talk to us today about a little bit about her and what she does. Lainey, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's my honor to be on the call today. <laughs> I'm really glad I was able to get you on today. We go back a ways. I almost forgot how I know you. <laughs> but I don't even think it matters anymore <laughs> at this point. Um, I believe we met through a player on the George Washington High School up in Wash Heights baseball team. I think it was one of the pitchers on the team was working with you, and that's how I got introduced, if I remember correctly. But that. Could be wrong. That's I, I how think, I remember it. I think, I think so. I, I've worked with so many people in teams. And, and that's, by the way, George Washington has always been like a crazy, great team, by the way. Uh, Manny Ramirez actually came from there. <laughs> yes. A lot, of, a, a lot of good players came from that high school. Uh, so anyway, um, I want to talk to you about what you do with uh, Improv Alchemy and just what you, in, in, but I also want to go into your background a little bit and kind of how you, you know, how you got into this, how you got into uh, human development um specifically breaking down what that is so for, i guess let's start with that like what is human development and why are you a human development specialist and what does that entail excellent question so in my frame of mind human development is the continual process of human beings learning growing and developing mm-hmm. i think there there's a belief out there with some people that you hit a certain age and your process of growth is done. You're an adult now, you are who you are, you can't change, you can't grow, you can't develop. And I believe that we can always grow and develop and that it's something we should continually seek out in life. So personally, not just in my practice, I'm always looking for ways that I can, t- can continue to learn and grow and develop as a human being. and. I enjoy the adventure of finding those new opportunities and putting myself in uncomfortable situations that challenge me to think differently, that challenge my beliefs, my assumptions, and my ways of doing things. And I think as we go through that process, we expand and we are able to have a more enjoyable life and meet new people. And I think it's just a more exciting and adventurous way to live life more well-rounded. Gotcha. So, how, so how, how'd you, what'd you major in? Like, how, how'd you get into this? So I actually majored, I went to Syracuse University for undergrad and I majored in health and exercise science. And hmm. at that time I thought I wanted to be an athletic trainer. And then I took athletic training class and we were talking about compound fractures. Those are fractures that actually break through the skin and I sat there and thought you know if I am the athletic trainer on the football field and I run out and there's a bone coming through the skin I actually don't think I can handle that (laughs) (laughs) so let's let's move away from athletic training and then I thought all right physical therapy and I did an internship back home in my home city of Denver Colorado at a physical therapy clinic after my junior year, I believe it was. And it was a great experience because I learned that I actually don't want to be a physical therapist. 
The reason why is because I struggled with some clients, patients coming in there and not doing their work and just complaining repeatedly all day. That was a hard thing to deal with. I realized that I would get burnt out with that really quickly. But what I also noticed were the clients and patients that came in, did their work, didn't complain, and then also did the work that we asked them to do at home and had a positive attitude and outlook about it, healed so much faster than the people who were negative and didn't mm -hmm. do the work. Mm -hmm. So I noticed there was a difference there in the psychology of injury recovery. Mm -hmm. And that redirected me into a sports psychology program. So mm -hmm. I went out to San Diego and I studied at the San Diego University for Integrative Studies. And it's a basic psychology program, but also with specialization in sports psychology. So mental training for athletes so that they can perform at their peak more often. And I studied there, it was a great program. And then I moved out to New York City because I just felt called to live there after visiting when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And from there, I started my own practice as a mental training consultant. And I was introduced to a young player from the George Washington High School baseball team. And he took my information to their coach, Coach Steve Mandel. Uh, he was a coach at the time, he no longer is, he retired. And he gave me a call and said, this player is interested in this. If you want to come up and work with him, you're more than welcome to. And that was the beginning of my career as a mental training consultant. And I worked with that one player over the course of a year. And then the following year, the coach asked if I could come in and work with the entire team. So I was doing that work and felt that, and it's important when you're supporting students or athletes in this type of role that you're getting some sort of supervision yourself so that you can get feedback on the work and continue to grow and learn in your practice. So, so I found a woman named Dr. Joan Ingalls and she was in New York City and she is a mental training consultant as well for psychology and I was receiving supervision from her and in my in our conversations about team building she suggested improv, improv games and exercises as a tool to help build the team, build cohesion and chemistry. And I did a workshop and it was magical. Just through a little bit of play together in a different way, the athletes showed up differently, more connected, more cohesive with just one session of improv. So that's where I was introduced to this tool as a way to help athletes to grow and develop as well. That's great. So high school sports, you know, you, you work, so New York City, you work with high school, high school athletes. What does that look like working with an individual versus working with a team? What are some of the strategies? You know, obviously we can't go into great detail, but like what were some of the things that you found were useful and helpful and in what capacity and how did that, how did that translate into, you know, overall team success, not just in camaraderie, but on the field? With, in that period of my career, mm -hmm. a lot of that was one-on-one -on -one work yep. with the players. So it came down to most often, how are you regulating what's going on in your mind and what's going on in your body? Because we walk around every day with some sort of inner dialogue in mm -hmm. the head. Mm -hmm. And some of us, it's constant and it's hard to shut off, whereas others, I don't know, are that affected by it. I know a few cases of that as well. We worked on the mental game of what are you 
What's the story you're telling yourself? What are you saying to yourself <laughs> when you get up in the batter's box? Is it, I can't miss, I can't miss, I can't miss? Mm -hmm. And if that's the story you're telling, the energy in that statement and the energy that you're then giving off is, I can't miss, 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 and then you end up missing. So where is your intention going? So we focused on something very simple of, see the ball, hit the ball, see the ball, hit the ball. If that's where your focus is, there's no other space in there or room to be focused on other things. You're focused on the task at hand. So it was really trying to train them to take their power back, control back of the inner dialogue so that they could focus better in a game. So that made a difference in the way that they played individually. But then with baseball as well, it's it's this unique sport where it's individual and then also team oriented. Yes. yes. So we, and these are young boys, they're high school age, and they can always use tools that help them connect a little bit better and get to know each other better. So we worked with improv to improve those relationships and connect the team in different ways throughout the week before they would play a game uh, later in the week. So it was an impactful tool and created a lot of joy as well. So their success, that team also was extremely successful always throughout the years. They've mm -hmm. always been a top program, mm -hmm. but I appreciated that the the coach was willing to take some innovative and more radical approaches to supporting them as athletes and young men. I also had some success with the, it was a girls soccer team that was training with a coach who he's now, I think he's coaching in Ghana internationally. And I came in and did one improv session with the group and he emailed me afterwards and said, it, I've never seen them play as connected as they did after our improv session. So that really showed me that this is a very powerful tool to help connect a team. But then I also wanted to deepen my own practice and understanding of improv. So I put myself through a series of improv classes before I moved from New York City and actually at this point I was working at the National Football League in the player development department is what it was at the time. It transitioned into the name player engagement as I was there. So I was working in the corporate office. So, oh, I'm sorry, was, before you before you go into the NFL, I'm going to, that's, I had that, I want to go into that with the NFL, what you've done with them. Okay. And I think you're currently doing with them. But let's go back to, because I want to kind of dig into the self-talk aspect of mm -hmm. of performance and just really discipline of how we think, the discipline of the thought process. And I, because yeah. with the, a lot of the athletes that I'm working with, you know, most, I, I'm working with probably 90% female athletes and maybe 10% uh, boy, baseball, right? Maybe 20%. So mm -hmm. it depends on the time of mm -hmm. year. So um, what, I, what, I, what I'm noticing is, and a lot of it has to do with like the world and how the world views and treats women. Um, yeah. how women view themselves and it's very difficult for me and, I, and I'm you know I'm, I'm getting better at it is I have to get my female athletes to really change how they see themselves showing up in the world because yeah. some of them are just so negative and, and I think you know like they don't feel like they're supposed to be aggressive and they're supposed to be uh, confident because yeah. you know, and, and and but you're you're supposed to be confident. And you're supposed to be aggressive, and there's nothing wrong with that. And but you know, what are your have, have you noticed that? 
um, particularly with the self-talk. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. not just with the athletes, I, it, our world in general. <laughs> yes. And yes. we are constantly sent, and particularly women, and I yep. think it is getting worse for men now, we are constantly sublim subliminally sent messages, mainly through media and advertising, mm -hmm. about who we are mm -hmm. and who we're supposed to be in the world, how we're supposed to look, how we're supposed to behave, how we're supposed to talk. And we don't even realize that we're being hit with all this stuff all the time yes. and how it's impacting us because it's designed to hit us on that subconscious level where it's below our level of awareness. And I've done a lot of work with clients over the years of helping them just to open up their awareness to what am I consuming on a daily basis with my eyes, with my ears? What am I listening to? What are the messages it's sending me? What are advertisements telling me about myself? because they're designed to make you feel bad about yourself or that you're missing something or lacking something and purchasing this thing will make you feel better, which in the end does not work at all. It's the inner work that you have to do. But unfortunately, we don't live in a world where we're really taught how to do that. Yes. No one taught me how to do it, but it was the work that I had to do as a grown woman in my 30s because I noticed how my limiting beliefs and my mindset was actually attracting in what I didn't want hmm. because what we focus on expands. So if I'm focusing on what's wrong with me or where I'm inadequate, etc., I'm actually going to become the magnet for more evidence that that's what's true. So I've worked really hard with my own personal coaches over the years to grow my awareness of my own internal dialogue and what am I focusing on and choosing, actively choosing to focus on something different, which is sort of rooted in what I want as opposed to what I don't want. So one example that really drove it home for me is working with my own business coach, um, Cassie Parks, is... She talks a lot about abundance and finances and that if you talk about, I want to get out of debt, I want to get out of debt, I want to get out of debt, the focus in that sentence is on debt. So you're putting energy and focus into debt and then you wonder, why am I getting more debt? What's mm -hmm. going on here? But that's where the energy is focused. So if you can realign that to what you want, Mm -hmm. which is abundance, which is savings, which is you know, having everything, all your needs met. If the mm -hmm. focus is on that, that's what you're going to receive. So it's been a big process for me because we're 30 years in at this point of me believing negatively, limited beliefs, and then having to do the work to switch that takes work every day. And you have to be committed to it and you have to be disciplined about it. But a lot of it just comes down to, I'm going to take my power back. Mm -hmm. Because this world takes it from me all the time, right. and I don't have to allow that to happen. <laughs> That's great. It it almost sounds spiritual. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. Mm -hmm. That's great. All right. So you know, and I want <laughs> this is great. So now, fast forward. You left New York City. You went back. Did you? Okay. So because I know you got your master's in, back in Denver. Right. I did. I received yeah. a master's in world history and culture back here in Denver. Yeah. And I was working at another high school here through a pre-collegiate program. I did miss working with young people. Mm -hmm. 
after leaving the high school arena to go to the National Football League. And the NFL, it was a great job. I really enjoyed it, but I'm just not someone who enjoys corporate culture. And I really prefer direct service, working with someone in the present instead of sending emails and writing reports and making phone calls. So I was working at a high school here and had applied for a promotion that would have moved me up to the collegiate level, supporting the same students, but that those who had moved up to that level. And I decided before the interview, if I get this, that's the indication I go that way. If I don't get this, that is the indication that I need to follow what my intuition has been telling me and go back out on my own and really create the type of life that I want to live. More freedom, more flexibility, mm-hmm. and more money. And I did not get that promotion. And I took that as a sign as it is time to take this leap and go back out on your own. So I did that and I would say for the first year, it took me a while to even figure out what is it that I offer here? Yes. And how can I support people? And about a year in, I decided to put together a program for improv as a tool to help rookies transitioning from the collegiate level to the professional level. And I had relationships with the player engagement directors at the club level because I had worked with them when I was at the league office. And so I had about five teams where I felt like that player engagement director would be open to the idea of using improv as a tool to help their athletes grow and develop. And I sent, created a one sheet, I sent it to five teams. Two got back to me. One was the Seahawks and they had booked out their program for the spring and so they couldn't bring me in that year but they brought me in the next year but the other team was the Baltimore Ravens and we got on a phone call they put me through the ringer for about 45 minutes and then they hired me and I've been working with them this is my fourth season working with that team every team that's brought me in brings me back and I really appreciate that for a league that skews conservative So many teams are seeing the value of improvisation, including the league office, because Mm -hmm. they brought me into their annual meeting this year to present and facilitate the conference. So it is growing, Mm -hmm. and I just love that people are seeing the value of something that could be looked at as pretty radical and a little bit out there. But when you look at the research on play, performance, improv, it's rooted in the power of that. So I'm not just making this up out of nowhere. There's actually a long history of this being a very powerful tool. It just hasn't been applied in athletics as much as it has been in other places. Right, gotcha. So that's what I'm bringing to the table. Wow, this is great. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, I always like to look at people and what they, what they went to school for and what they did. You know, I went to school for, I was also a history major. And I'm not even doing anything that's regarding history, but I felt like my background in history and studying people, how they lived, how they worshiped, how they, how their culture, you know, shaped the mindset of the, of the people in different parts of the country at different times. That helped me to just understand people more and made me better with my people skills, um, Mm -hmm. working with people and, and just from an emotional stamp, emotional, uh, emotional intelligence standpoint, you know, understanding how others need to move and think and act in the world helps me to be able to put together and construct how I teach and how I motivate and how I inspire my, my students and how I deliver my curriculum. 
um, yeah. you know, each year. And I'm wondering if you could say the same thing, and, and if so, like specifically what and how did the world history and culture um, education contribute to how you interact with people on a daily basis? Because when you're working with sports teams, whether you're in a sports environment or a corporate environment, you're working with people that have become a team, but these people have different backgrounds, whether it's at social, socially, economically, uh, ethnically, uh, um, and then if you're putting them all on one team, yet they have to come together and try to win. And I think sometimes just the challenge and, and the adversity of doing that is what kind of molds a team and shapes them into becoming great once they can overcome all that stuff. So what, what, have you, what how do you how do you see your your background in, you know, from uh, world history and culture shaping how you go about doing what you do? at this level now and at this point in your life? Great question. I would actually say that it started way before mm-hmm. and it, it's a function of me growing up in Denver, Colorado. Mm-hmm. At the time, we had busing for school integration. And because of where I lived, my middle school that I was bused to and my high school that I was bused to, Manual High School, which is in Five Points here in Denver, which was the part of the African-American community for many, many years. It's Mm. being gentrified now as many communities are across our country. But I would not be who I am if I had not gone to integrated schools. Mm. I would never have survived in New York City (laughs) if I had gone to private schools my entire life. I don't think I would have even known how to build relationships and get to know other people if I hadn't had that diversity growing up here in Denver. So it's certainly rooted in that. And I found so much value in those experiences because it taught me also that I, as a white woman, have so much more access and opportunity just because of the color of my skin than other people do. So seeing that inequity by going to school with students who were different from me was really eye-opening. And then that diversity has informed all of my decisions moving forward. So because I went to those schools, my work is really rooted in social justice and equity and diversity. So in addition to athletes, I also work in the criminal justice system. I'm working with transitioning prisoners who are coming out of prison and will go either to a halfway house or some of them go home, but it's a 90-day treatment program where I'm supporting them to grow and develop with improv. I was at the Colorado State Penitentiary yesterday working with a group of prisoners, some of them who are in there for 30, 40 years, not a life sentence, helping them to grow and develop. And I also work in schools, but the schools that I focus on are the ones that have long been underserved, that don't have the same resources and are lacking development. So I think a lot of people sometimes are like, that's such a strange mix of people. You're working with prisoners and then (laughs) NFL players, what's the connection? But to me, so many of them are coming from backgrounds where they just weren't afforded the same opportunities to grow and develop. Whereas when I went on summer break, I traveled with my family. I went to summer camp for eight years. I continued to have experiences where I learned and I grew and I developed. And when I was working in schools, particularly when I was back here in Denver and we'd come back in the fall and I'd ask my students, well, what'd you do all summer? Nothing. Or I watched my siblings. Mm-hmm. So they're not having the same opportunity to grow during these summer breaks 
or they're just growing up in communities that don't have the same access to that. So improv is a way to do that catch up. Mm-hmm. And when I moved back to Denver, the reason I pursued that degree in world history and culture, I had some free time in the summer when I had moved back and picked up, I can't even tell you where I learned about the book, but it's Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. And it's a more accurate telling of the history of our country as opposed to the one that we are sold in school that's awfully rosy. And this really told the story from everyone's perspective. And in reading this book, I realized how much I did not know about my own country. And it made me question, if this is true, what else don't I know about this world? So (laughs) I Googled world history programs, and thankfully there was a hybrid on-campus online program at the University of Denver that was really affordable through University College. And I pursued that basically for my own selfish wanting to, to learn and grow more. So that's how I ended up pursuing that degree. But as you were saying, it it's helps in the work because the more you understand other people, other cultures, the more you're able to help them and to see the value in all of those differences. So when we talk about team building, I actually prefer the word ensemble as a, or um, as a, opposed to team because I think team can sometimes imply competition and yes you are competing against the competition but the group works best together when everybody is bringing their unique talents and abilities to the space and they're blending together as a jazz ensemble does when they are performing so Mm -hmm. I actually prefer the term ensemble as opposed to team because I think we work a little bit better when we can get that sort of mind state in our heads that we're actually all bringing something to the table as we work together cohesively that's when we can create something beautiful together or win the game <laughs> right so because uh, if we don't if we don't win then we feel like we didn't get it done but we're just going out and doing what we do win or lose when you say the word ensemble is to take that competitive element out of it i think it's yeah i can see that um so so this is you're giving me a lot here to think about okay so history let's 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 go back to um let me talk about the history of the U.S. So it's funny because I grew up in a in a neighborhood in New Rochelle, New York, where we had I, I could name twenty countries, and, and this is no exaggeration, where my entire block, from the top of the block to the bottom of the block, we had we had families from all these different countries, right? From Colombia to Peru to Chile to Jamaica to Haiti to Mexico, I I can <laughs> I'm just going off the top of my head right now, but it was it was crazy because like all the kids we all came outside and played, you know everybody had you know if you go to somebody's house, it, everybody's house house smelled differently because different foods were being cooked in the houses, you know and um, I had you know it, so my experience my experience was, was kind of similar, but everybody doesn't have that same experience in different parts of America. You know, my, my, my children have had the opportunity to actually go to bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and, and, you know, the schools here in New York have Jewish holidays off. And, you know, you go to other places, they don't take off for Jewish holidays because there are no Jewish people that live there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So, like, they wouldn't even know what that's about or what that's like to understand why this boy has a yarmulke on in school and what does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. you know, and... So for me, have you know, growing up and growing up in that, and and um, 
it kind of helped me to want to know more and which is the reason why history has always been my one of my passions and reading mm-hmm. history hence I hence I built a library in my house which actually has <laughs> tons and tons of history books on you know different cultures and different 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 things but again like you talked about about this author that you said his name was Howard Zinn is that, is that is that how I pronounce it Howard Zinn yes Howard Zinn uh history of the US United States I think you know just opening up your mind to where we have come from historically to where we are to where we're going mm-hmm. helps you to put your helps you to have a a, a a unique perspective on how you want to show up in the world as a person so for example you started out you wanted to be a physical therapist not physical therapist or a physical trainer which that that's something where you're helping people right yeah so you just you didn't really change what you wanted to do you actually just changed how you wanted to do it Correct. There's a different way that I want to help people. It's just not going to be that way. <laughs> because I think, because <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I, I think that the world has people that are givers and the world has people that are takers. You know, mm-hmm. and, I, 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 and I think as you get older, you become more of who you are. You just become a, a, a more um, concentrated version of who you really are. And if you're a bad person, you become that much worse of a person as you get older. <laughs> and if you're a good person, you become that much more of a good person. Or if you're a giver, you become that much more of a giver. And if you were a taker, you become that much more of a taker. And I think um, just just knowing that you come from that background of, of uh, being in a, being in a, in a school with diversity, uh, you, you're able to. Because when you, when you get to a sports team, you have multi. You have like I said, you have multiple uh, types of personalities and. Mm-hmm. Kids from backgrounds on specific, specific teams and in organizations and in workplaces, and being able to have the people skills or the or the or the um, emotional intelligence, and I think people downplay or people um, don't give enough credit to the EQ versus the IQ, which is the the emotional intelligence versus the um, intelligence quotient, mm-hmm. because you can learn about so much in books, but when you're actually living it and you're actually you know involving it involved in it on a day to day basis. And you actually have hands-on experience being in the classroom with people and learning from different people and, you know, taking a bus with people and things like that. You show up differently. I think you show up differently in, in your in your set employment. So now we got Laney Hodges. She's, she's the, you know, NFL specialist. I know you are uh, an entrepreneur now. What's that looking like? What's, ne- what's next for Laney Hodges? Well, look forward to expanding my work with athletes or NFL teams and also into other sports so pursuing opportunities in basketball men's and women's both professional levels collegiate levels soccer baseball so really expanding that to other places it's still it's a powerful tool of course no matter who you're working with when you think of the dynamics of improv and the numbers I think it can be even more powerful with, say, a basketball team because they are much smaller or a volleyball team. It's impactful no matter where you do it, but I think if you were applying improv on a regular basis with the entire basketball team, 
you are going to build that chemistry and cohesion and the relationships so much more rapidly than if you didn't do improv. It's a tool that allows people to safely take risks because the environment is created together collectively. I lead it, but it gets built by the entire group ensemble that is there. And there are safe little leaps of vulnerability that you need to take, but that is required. You must risk vulnerability in order to grow. It is part of it. If you won't risk vulnerability, you're going to stay stagnant. Hmm. And I do work with a lot of men. And again, when we come back to what sort of messages is society sending us, men are getting the message that vulnerability is a weakness when it is actually a strength. So even though I don't necessarily verbalize it myself in these workshops, it often comes out when the men are reflecting on the experience like, oh, I was vulnerable, but it felt okay to do that. And as we can build those muscles and also new pathways in the brain, because that's what happens through a movement play therapy like improv, the more you do that in that little space together in the workshop, it then transfers out into other areas of life. So using that tool, we can play some of the catch up, not only on people who haven't had the same opportunities to grow and develop, or in the case of a lot of athletes, they've been supported to develop their athletic skills, but not their skills as human beings. This is a space where we can do a little bit of catch up and it happens in an environment that's really joyful and really positive and fun. A lot of people, when I say improv, the brain jumps to something like whose line is it anyways? And they think of Wayne Brady, who is one of the best improvisers out there today. And they see what he does and they're like, I can't do that. I'm not funny. I'm not witty. Therefore, I can't improvise. And what I actually teach is that we are all natural born improvisers. And as long as you are not reciting lines that you have memorized, nor reading from a script, you are improvising. You and I are improvising this conversation <laughs> right now. Neither yeah. of us are reading lines. Right. We improvise when we go in the refrigerator and there's ingredients in there but we don't want to go to the grocery store and we don't want to order takeout so we figure out a meal when you raise children i don't have children but i'm i'm told you don't get a handbook that tells you how to raise them when you have them so we actually improvise all the time and we can improve our skills in that area and improv really comes down to three principles and the first principle is to listen and that's listening to understand someone as opposed to listening to reply, listening to agree with, listening to disagree with, but really listening to try and understand where someone is coming from and what they're saying. The second principle is to accept the offer. And in improv, we call that the yes. And the third principle is to build with the offer. And we call that the and. So listen, yes, and. If you can follow those three principles, it's going to make you a better teammate, better athlete, but also it's going to make life better because you are able to work with whatever comes your way even the stuff that you don't want or that looks like crap if you will it's what you have to build with so you might as well figure out a way to build with it rather than resisting it and be frustrated with it and wanting to throw your hands up because that's not going to help either so how can i take what comes my way and be responsible 
responsive to it as opposed to reactive. So when you're talking about that emotional <laughs> intelligence, reacting is we're in our feelings, as the kids yes. say these days, and we often say and do things that we regret. It's like a, a batter striking out and coming into the dugout and punching the wall and breaking their hand and now you're out for three, four months because in that emotional reaction, you made that choice. Someone who is responsive will pull back a little bit first, look at the entire situation, like a bird's eye view, play the tape out. How could this turn out if I make this choice? And then respond from there, as opposed to always coming from that emotional place. It doesn't mean we won't have the emotional reaction. It just means that we have trained ourselves not to always react from that place. Absolutely. So improv is also the practice of how can I respond in this moment instead of just reacting? So it's funny you say you use the word respond versus reaction because I always, um, when I created my vision training curriculum, um, I had broken it down into three three parts of the process of, of uh, you know, you have the capture process where we actually read what's going on on the field. And then we have the process, the processing uh, stage where we actually cognitively process what we saw. And then there's a filtering that goes on, you know, emotionally, how do I feel about what I saw? You know, what what have what have my experiences been in, when I've been in that situation about what I'm seeing, which contributes to my confidence in being able to get that done, right? But then also people say, well, then we react. And I'm like, no, we don't react. We actually respond. Mm -hmm. Because reaction usually happens when something already happened. I have, re I have a reaction to that. So, but responding is, is, is being, in, being, being the ball and I'm sensitive to the ball. I'm sensitive to the flow of the game. I'm set, you know, I'm, I'm in the, I'm present yes. when, I, when I'm responsive, when I'm reaction, it, it, I'm reacting. It, it's usually the, the emotional and sometimes emotional emotion could be good. Sometimes emotion motion cannot be good. It can be positive and negative, <clears throat> but, but responsiveness is, is true. You know, it's always true, and I, and I think that's <laughs> when you said that, I was like, wow, <laughs> that's pretty good, because I because I, I, I always thought about it as you know, in, in interpreting the game and the sport, but when you put it that way, um, with the improv part, I think that was great. But I love what you said about vulnerability, though, also, um, mm -hmm. because a lot of times as athletes, we have we feel like we have to be stronger, we have to be faster, we have to be ice. We gotta be clutch. We have to be, we have to win. We have to compete, you know? And sometimes people don't attribute those words with vulnerability, humility, mm -hmm. sensitivity, uh, calm, deep breath. Like they don't, they don't, they don't associate those things with, the, with those things. So I think being able to be vulnerable says a lot about how in tune you are with yourself, how, how incredibly mm -hmm. self-aware, you know, the best athletes that I've ever coached ever were able to do, were able to be so much more self-aware than everyone else. Yeah. And they had a strong sense of one, what they're good at two, when they got away from it and three, how to get back to it. And you can yeah. only do that when you have the ability to be, to, to be to be um, humble mm -hmm. but still be confident yeah because the two aren't really different 
because if I'm humble and if I have vulnerability, it's because I'm confident that I'm able to be vulnerable. Yeah. So, sometimes I'm not, I don't allow myself to be vulnerable because I'm too insecure to go into that. To, 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 I'm too insecure or I'm not confident enough to be vulnerable. You get what I'm saying? Like, so it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like two things pulling on both sides of the string, vulnerability and confidence. But you have to have both because when they pull, the, the, the rope gets tighter. Absolutely. Or I'm afraid to be vulnerable because what will people think of me? Yes. What will they say about me? How are they going to judge me? And the confident <laughs> person does not does it care. concern themselves with <laughs> those Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Like, I really you can care no less. control right? over that. Right. I can care less what you think of me. I can't control what you think. All I can control is what I can control. Let's go. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's too common. That's awesome. So this is... <laughs> This has been great. So I I don't want to keep you that long because I do, I probably want to bring you back a couple of times. So I don't want to so I don't want you to be like oh I'm not coming back on that show. Rob Rob talked too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wanted I had one more question. I wanted to find out your services because I I want and I also want to talk to you about how I can or we can get you to do more. I, I want to try to see if I can get you to um, to figure out how I can get you involved in what I'm doing. Um, as a part of the um, the mental skills portion of what, what, what I'm doing with my athletes and with my teams. Because I know a lot of people that I talk to who can definitely benefit from, you know, a, a, a five session FaceTime, a FaceTime package with, with uh, Improv Alchemy. Um, and I wanted to know, do, do, is this something that you can do remotely or does it have to be you flying here or somebody meeting you in person? Do you have any kind of remote ways to, you know, um, work with, groups, teams, individuals, ensembles? Sure. So I say it could be done remotely. I have done improv activities that I've done. If everybody, you know, is on a, a separate Zoom link and working together that way, it absolutely can be done. I think there's more power in my presence in a space because there's more that I can see and read happening within the ensemble. Mm -hmm where as it might not read as well through a virtual application but through my work you know i do one-off workshops i do residencies repeated workshops over the course of the season i think obviously the more that a group is improvising together the more they're going to connect and build that chemistry and intuitive knowing of each other because you're just building the relationships in a different way so that when we play this game in here where we have to respond to each other and be ready for whatever comes our way, again, that's going to translate on the field. So I invite people to really look at my work and improv as an investment in their team and in their own work to just elevate what they're already doing. I don't come in and say, well, I have the magic trick and what you're doing doesn't work. I look at my work as an enhancement to support whatever it is that people are already doing. What I find is whenever I've come into a program and they've been working together for a while already, and perhaps that's involving a certain curriculum or just the coach's philosophy, when we start doing the improv games, they can always tie what they experience in the exercises to things that the curriculum or their coach or trainer have already been trying to deliver to them. So again, it's that experiential way of reinforcing the lessons that we are trying to 
have athletes not only learn, but truly embody them. Because the embodied learning is what they're going to remember. It's a little bit more sticky than just reading some slides or going through a handbook. So mm -hmm. it could be done virtually. I'm, and I, as an improviser, I say yes and to all my offers. So if that <laughs> is something that a coach was interested in, we will figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I would say that the having me there present is even more impactful but any way that you can implement this idea of listening, accepting offers, and building with offers, there's going to be a positive impact no matter which way that it's applied. That's great. Lady, this, lady, this has been one of my favorite podcasts that I've done. <laughs> I must say. Oh, great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely <laughs> been one of my favorites. Um, I want to, if you would, just can you give our listeners... Uh, a way in which they can contact you, follow you, whether it's through social, email, website. Absolutely. So the best way to reach me would be through either my website or direct email. If you go to my website, this email would come to me. My email address is Lainey, L-A-I-N-I-E, that's L-A-I-N-I-E, at improvalchemy.com. That is also my website, www.improvalchemy.com. You can find me on LinkedIn as well, Lainey Hodges, that's H-O-D-G-E-S. And I am also at Improv Alchemy on Facebook. So any one of those platforms, they can find me. And of course, regular listeners that know you, feel free to reach out to Rob. He has my phone number as well. So multiple ways to find me and it's always my honor to share this work with other people and bring this joy to other spaces so I'm also traveling out on the road quite a bit so if there's ways to align with a visit that I'm already doing with a team and stay in that general area we can work on that too yeah I think that would be that would be good too yeah absolutely all right well this has been great I really appreciate you coming on the show and um Obviously, you know, if, you, if you're up for it, I'd love to have you back when, you know, just to talk about some certain things. I like to do this podcast kind of like a conversation, not like an interview, <laughs> because sometimes interviews get like kind of, you know, just not real. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm glad we were able to just converse today. Yes, this was great. And I yeah. appreciate the platform mm -hmm. uh, to share what I know and what I'm bringing to the table and being able to tell people more about this really powerful tool. And I always love talking with other professionals about this work too, because we are a really niche market. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's great to connect on that level as well. And I just appreciate the opportunity. I'd be happy to be on again. That's great. I want to thank everybody for listening. This is Transcending Sport. I'm your host, Rob Cruz. Catch y'all later.